the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. To talk about tonight is uh, something that's been on the news constantly, like all week. And how can we not talk about Ukraine? That uh, It's the only thing that we're hearing about on the news, yeah. Nonstop, and rightfully so. Well, well, the whole thing is so so terrible. Uh, what's going on? It, it's being a, a witness to what's happening. If you watch the news, it's like watching a never-ending story, and we don't know what's happening in the next episode. We're like season one of Russia versus Ukraine. It's been it's been so eventful over the last few days. Well, it has. You know, the the first uh, days when the Russians were massing along the borders of Ukraine. And uh, we were just looking at the numbers. Uh, satellite in- imagery was telling us how many Russian military vehicles and tanks and so forth were massing here and there. And uh, Putin would always say, we're not going to invade. We're not. Yes, yes, so, it was going to be a peacekeeping mission. And everyone sat back and said, oh, what a relief. Right. What a relief it is. Right. That was uh, episode one, <laughs> I think. Yes. And mm-hmm. now here we are and... I, I, I have to say, isn't it amazing how the Ukrainian people are fending them off to the degree that they are? It, it is. I cannot put into words how how brave these people are for doing that. How from leading a comfortable life, and if you look at what it's like in uh, Ukraine, it's like pretty much what it looks like in the United States. The, the people look like they're Americans, or the Americans look like the Ukrainians for the most part. Mm-hmm. And the Ukrainians look like they're Russians also. I mean, everybody looks alike uh, over there. And uh, having a civilized culture, having a a metro, having cars, having freeways, having food, having everything else, suddenly their lives were so totally interrupted. It shows the the horrible damage that war can do and the fact that you can just be displaced instantly where hundreds of thousands of people now are on the move trying to get out. It's true. And, and, you know, it, I don't know if you've seen any of the interviews on television with some of the people there. I've seen a couple of primarily moms holding babies and one in a bomb shelter and talking about the fact that, it, you know, if anyone still thinks that this is still time to continue to negotiate, they're not dealing in the real world, that we're beyond that and pleading that that everybody uh, be realistic and if we're going to help, help. And then I also saw, which I thought was interesting, um, the national security official from Ukraine speaking Mm -hmm. this afternoon. I believe it was this afternoon. And he said, um, there are countries that are offering to help. And on one hand, they're uh, saying they want to support us and um do what they can to punish Russia and on and with the other hand they're still doing business with Russia and he point blank said you know he wasn't mincing words he said you need to stop it 
you need to stop doing business with Russia. So, you know, of course, that's going to have a huge impact on everyone, on mm-hmm. multiple companies, or countries, rather. Well, well, it seems to me most of the Russian people are okay people. Uh, I think the government with uh, Putin is motivated by his own interest, obviously, what he wants to see. He wants to see a return of the Russian Empire, return of the Soviet Empire mm-hmm. that was prior to the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And uh, to do that, he is bent on, on reaching that end. And in the meantime, he was really, I think, not just uh, surprised, he was shocked at the resistance that the uh, Ukrainians are putting up uh, in the face of all this Russian might, all these Russian numbers and all this right. Russian military equipment. Right. And when you say, you know, the Russian people don't seem supportive of this whole thing, I, I mean, they were protesting in Moscow and throughout the country. Um, they're, they're saying stop the war in Ukraine, the Russian people. And they're being arrested and punished. Thousands of Russian people are being arrested for protesting, for showing up at a protest yes. in a number of Russian cities. And uh, I think the uh, social media in Russia and the Internet connectivity and so forth is also subject to manipulation by the government. And I say all of this with the background to the problems we have in this country, uh, which essentially by comparison is uh, we don't have any problems really that aren't workable. We're sane and civilized and we have our political debates and everything, but you know, we don't have tanks pulling down our main street, running over our cars with us in them. Sure. I, well, we have problems, but certainly not to that extreme. No, but you want to see what it's like when you look at the people walking with their children and holding their children. There was one 10-year-old boy who was on uh, today uh, who was explaining how his papa has to stay in in the Ukraine while uh, he and his mother leave, and he has to fight with the Russians. Mm-hmm. And he was choking up, almost crying, explaining he's going to miss his dad. And these kinds of stories are reality, no matter what we think about politics, no matter what we think about uh, how our lives are, things could be worse. And if you want to see how bad things can be, look what's going over there. The uh, the Russians today did uh, increase the alert status of their nuclear forces, I by saw. the way. I saw, and I, and I, you know, and they're talking about the uh, mental state of Putin uh, and there's a narrative starting that he's not quite himself or, I don't know, maybe he's more himself, but um, mm. some concern over his mental state, which raises a question for me, and I don't know the answer to this. Maybe somebody has some insight. But, you know, if Putin was rema- removed from the equation, would there be someone in Russia that would follow through with what he's doing? Or would they back off? Well, it's a great question uh, because the the question is sort of shot into the direction of a lot of stuff we don't know. Mm-hmm. It is. Like we, we don't know how many people are actually in a power position. And Russia has always been, even during the Soviet era, uh, Russia has been governed by people who have manipulated power and sort of worked uh, their political opponents in such a, a way that they came to the top of the pyramid and they were the top of the king of the mountain, I guess. So I don't know who the people are just below Putin who are there in line to take over if Putin steps aside for any reason. Mm -hmm. 
but uh, I think I heard some of the stories on the news today that, that you're talking about with regard to the possible uh, mental issues concerning Putin as to whether or not he is uh, rational, whether or not uh, he is able to make uh, valid decisions based upon risk-benefit analysis and to how to move forward in a reasonable way. So far, he hasn't been. Going back to what we mentioned a few minutes ago, the idea that when all these troops were lining up, Putin was saying to the world, we're not going to invade. Yet he had a plan mm. laid out, moving toward that, uh, ticking like a clock toward the time when it was going to start, uh, when, when he uh, was going to start crossing the border and doing their things. But I don't know uh, what's going to happen if he is truly a very powerful individual and has life and death power over his competitors. Uh, that's going to be the source of, of great drama that we won't know about for years. It is later. And it is, you know, and the, and there's also you know a question of if he's truly feeling as though he's not succeeding, which I think he's got to see that in many ways he's not. It, it's not going the way he thought it would. It, it, is that going to push him up against a wall where he lashes out more? Um, or is that going to make him retreat? I think it's going to make him lash out more. He has, he has a lot of things uh, to deal with. He has a lot of uh, weapons, including mm -hmm. the nuclear option. And uh, the Russians have a lot of what they call tactical nuclear weapons, which are not you know, the large H-bombs, uh, World War II style, but they're more field uh, nuclear weapons. That, that can be used. And the question is, what would the United States and what would NATO do to respond to the use of tactical field nuclear weapons? Uh, keeping in mind that uh, when we talk about Ukraine, we, we talk about a country that is about as large geographically as the state of Texas mm -hmm. and has a population of about 44 million people. Uh, and we're talking about maybe 150 to 200,000 Russian soldiers dealing with 40 million people, 40-plus million people. Uh, that's daunting, and uh, what, what kind of things will Putin be able to do to uh, get, uh, get things going? Well, mm -hmm. anyway, we've been thinking a lot about uh, Ukraine and, uh, and Russia and what's going on, what's dominating the news on all stations at, at this point. Uh, this is Nick Phillips. We're here with Kathy Lux. We're talking about Ukraine and Russia, and we're going to be talking about what things uh, we'll be doing in the future here at The Advocate? What other people should we bring on? We're not uh, talking COVID very much. We'll talk about COVID a little bit after the break. Okay. Uh, listening to Nick Phillips and Kathy Lux here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. We'll be right back. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, I'm here with Kathy Lux, and we're talking about what's going on with Ukraine and Russia and uh, how we have to keep an eye on that because one of the things, and I remember this when Yugoslavia fell apart with Bosnia, Herzegovina, and we had all the destruction and killing going on in the former Yugoslavia, what amazed me at that time was the fact that how we can have such a civilized place that we could uh, visit and walk into their shopping centers and walk down their streets, and it looks just like the United States a bit. And then it goes in, it sinks into chaos, war, and killing, and destruction. 
and that's what we're seeing going on in Ukraine now. And we always have to be careful about uh, democracy and having our republic. It can be lost, and we could turn into something like that. That's always out there around the corner. We have to protect our Constitution, protect our government, respect our laws, and uh, continue to debate our, dis, um, our disagreements and uh, not blow each other up. It, it, yes, and you know, there's been such a heightened concern um, for some time now, at least a couple of years, about where we're going in terms of protecting our Constitution and our freedoms and whether our government is bec- has become too overreaching and too tyrannical-leaning. Um, and, you know, that gets into so many areas that, that people... We had, we had a theory about that. Did you? There's a theory. We, we have a guest, a reoccurring guest from Tri-C. Uh, he is a professor of communications at Tri-C, John Kersey, who comes on and talks to us about disinformation on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> we were talking about where does that come from? And the fingers point a lot. Uh, We saw in the 2016 election to information coming across the Internet uh, with disinformation saying that uh, false news is out there and trying to divide the country. And a lot of that was coming either from Russia or some of the Eastern European countries or from China. And politically, they're saying that the war being waged now isn't a war between... uh, capitalism and communism, but it's more against democracy versus totalitarianism. And you have China and Russia somewhat taking the same side of the the fence here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's in their political interest to watch this country disintegrate based upon these kinds of disagreements with false information, pitting the far, far right against the far, far left. And it wouldn't surprise me if you see some of these foreign people working with computers and input uh, who are actually the same people saying the same far right and same far far left things just to divide the country, to make us get into this impotent situation that we might appear to be in. But I think we're coming together over Ukraine. Uh, Oh, I think think we are. I think we largely are. But but I see the disinformation problem or misinformation, whatever you'd like to call it, Mm -hmm. I see a whole lot of that coming from mainstream media, from our cable networks, news channels. Um, You can watch uh, Senate in session and the debate and hear the words come from people directly and then watch the news later Mm -hmm. on many of the channels and get different versions um, that are so heavily slanted, and I'm being kind, um, that really it it takes on a whole new intent and meaning uh, than what that person actually was saying. And that's, that's frequent. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. routine. It's becoming routine. Well, well, it is. I think it's part of our way of life now, how we get information. Um, if you're far right or far left, you can gravitate over to the news sources that support what you believe. And you'll only hear stuff supporting that mm-hmm. particular uh, th- that particular type of political uh, area, far right, far left. 
So you surround yourself in a bubble. You don't know who to believe, and that's always been a problem, at least over the last couple of years, as far as where do I go to get authoritative information that I can believe? Just look at what happened with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, uh, when we had polio, remember that way back when, the issue was the government said, we have polio, we found a cure, everyone gets the vaccination, everyone got the vaccination without question, and... Um, Polio went away. Mm-hmm. Now, there were some problems because there was, if you read the history of the polio vaccine program, there were some problems with how that uh, the manufacturing problems were hurting people. But in any event, and at the end of the day, they ended up um, basically getting rid of polio. Now what happens, now we have to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Well, you have people lining up on either side of the debate. Mm-hmm. Should we get a vaccination or not? People are lining up on either side of that debate. And uh, the division in the country weakens the country, and I, I can even hear it now with regard to what's going on with uh, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, we have to tighten our ranks and speak as one, and if we don't do that, we're going to be viewed as weak. End of story. We, I think we are being viewed as weak on the world stage. Uh, certainly weakened, uh, let's put it that way, weakened from what we were. Um, and And you know, there are differences in um, the way this COVID has transpired um, and the way polio was handled. And, and we are certainly cognizant of the fact now that the vaccines, if you will, are not a cure. Um, we're now cognizant of the fact that you can spread COVID to another person just the same, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. Transmission is the same. The vaccine does not put up this magical barrier around you that you're not breathing in someone else's germs and breathing them onto someone else. Everyone is doing that. So vaccine or not, you're you're still doing that. And I think that's something that people... Uh, by and large, have not totally gotten their heads around. Um, but yet that's that's been proven, and that's been said by experts now. So it, it it's this whole situation, it, it was politicized too much as well. It's become, well, well, it is, and, and we don't know who to believe. Uh, exactly. You know, the... Traditional sources of authoritative information be like the CDC and the FDA. And the situation is still that the more people that get vaccinated, the more it tamps it down, but it's not a guarantee you won't get it. Uh, And a lot of people don't understand the full medicine on it, but what's been happening is that we've been seeing these variants, and there will be variations of the virus that will continue to be and it's going to have different reactions to different types of vaccinations that have been out there. But uh, talking about COVID for a moment, we only have a few more moments to go here, the the thought, it seems like we're past the worst of it for now unless there's another variant that crops up. So my understanding, and I'm certainly not an expert, but I've talked to a few, and you know, generally, usually, viruses diminish in strength as they continue to um, vary and have create variants. So 
as it will continue on, it will lessen in severity. Um, you know, and is the vaccine truly tamping it down? I, I think what it's doing is it's reducing deaths and it's reducing hospitalizations. But I'm not so sure it's tamping it down. I think it, it because whether you're vaccinated or not, you still spread it. I don't know that that really has done much to... Well, if you recall, we've been getting sort of like four and 5,000 cases in Ohio a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, they reported about 500 and some cases. Mm-hmm. And the trend continues to go down. And uh, my take on it, and I've talked to a lot of experts on this. And we talk about, we've been talking about this for two years now on the mm-hmm. show. Uh, what's what's been happening is that uh, there's a certain amount of immunity that is passed on by the viruses or by the vaccines, the first, second, and the uh, the booster. And then there's also uh, there's also immunity that's natural immunity caused by the people that get it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the latest version, the Omicron version of the of the COVID seem to affect a lot of people, and some of them without any symptoms, but probably left them with some degree of immunity. And I, I think the cumulative effect of natural immunity and vac- vaccination immunity is uh, coming out and showing us how low the numbers can be and might, might get lower. But probably we're hearing that COVID might be with us for a long time in different versions. Mm-hmm. Just like but, the flu or the cold. <clears throat> we're going to have to live with it. Exactly. But I tell you, we were all terrified watching all the refrigerated morgue vans pull up to all the hospitals on the East Coast uh, when this started. And, you know, initially you could understand that uh, because it was new, there was a certain level of the unknown. Well, we're going to keep talking about these things. Uh, We're talking to Kathy Lux, and she's going to be joining us from time to time. We're going to be talking about some of these issues. Uh, and we're going to be watching, especially in my, my interest in watching what's going on in Europe with the Russians. And I never thought they would do something that was so um, uh, reprehensible and, and so much without uh, just cause. Yeah, evil. There yeah. are just bad people out there. Well, in any event, I'd like to uh, thank Kathy for joining us again. And um, we're going to be back after these words. We're going to have Tom Patton join us talking about what's going on in Columbus, Ohio at the State House. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Kathy. So we'll be right back after these words. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate on WHK. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to State Representative Tom Patton about what's going on in Columbus with our state legislature. Uh, Tom, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Nick. Always a pleasure having you here to find out what's going on in Columbus. You know, we've been swamped with uh, the the COVID issues over the past two years. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about a couple of other things that are going on in Columbus. Life has been going on, and uh, glad you could be with us to talk uh, about these issues. One of the first items, maybe you can help us understand What's going on with redistricting in the state of Ohio, and why is it a problem? Well, you know, um, we had a vote, a constitutional amendment that stated they wanted to have fair districts, and uh, the the Supreme Court um, voted pretty much partisan with the exception of Chief Justice Warren O'Connor 
would cast the deciding vote. She ruled the first two maps, uh, as well as then the congressional map that was, a, you know, we have two different types of maps, one for the state legislative and state senate offices, the other for, you know, the congressional district, the 15 districts in Ohio. We did lose a seat due to not a population loss, but this population throughout the country grew in some states far better. So, um, so there's that map to continue. But as far as the legislative map, the map they presented on Thursday afternoon seemed to hit that 54, 45 percent uh, of the you know partisanship, which you know the uh, the folks, the experts seem to think that represents you know, the state of Ohio. I always say the biggest district in Ohio is the statewide district, and that covers the entire state. And uh, going all the way back to Governor Voinovich, Governor Taft, a brief uh, one term of Ted Strickland, then another eight-year term of John Kasich, and uh, what looks like maybe going to be an eight-year term with Mike DeWine if the pollsters are correct. And so, and all the statewide office holders, Attorney General, Secretary of State, State Treasurer, Auditor, et cetera, have all been Republicans. So, you know, the 54, 40, 50, uh, 45 split, you know, if that's what the court's aimed at, I think that's what the redistricting commission, that a commission is made up of the governor, the secretary of state, the auditor, the speaker of the house, the Senate president, and then the minority leader from, from uh, both the house and Senate, the seven person commission. This last map, you know, did pass four to three, Auditor Faber, you know, was against it for whatever reason. You know, I'd let him explain. Um, but that's the map that's in front of the court now, and hopefully we have a May 3rd primary. we got to get absentee ballots printed and out to the people. And, uh, you know, so I think that um, if something happens, you know, every 10 years you do the, te- you know, the, you know, the 10-year the census, and then you try mm-hmm. to adjust accordingly. So... That's it's taken up a lot. A lot of people really knew Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor's name, to be real honest. But over the last month or so, uh, she's dominated the headlines with her uh, unwillingness. The one map had like a 57 Republican House, which currently has 64 members, and the Senate with 25 had a 20 map. Now the district they've carved out for me in every map, my own district. you know, is is forty-eight uh, percent Republican, fifty-two percent Democrat, and so uh, uh, and I and that stays the same under the fifty-four um, forty-five map that they just uh, took care of on Thursday. So we're just waiting to see what the court will decide. Uh, you know, they're trying to interpret it their way, and all due respect, they they have a right to do that. Um, so you know, the beat goes on and. But it doesn't appear that, you know, and I would hate to see us having to do two separate elections because they estimate the cost of a second election, one for just the congressional district, for example, would be another $35 million. So I would hope everyone would just kind of hustle, get all their stuff done, and let the Secretary of State start printing ballots and getting the overseas ballots out. Uh, but, you know, time is precious. We, we hear where the, um, the the districts are considered to be unfair. Is there anything specific as to why? You well, know, I assume everyone's trying to be fair. What what are the claims that it's unfair? Well, some of the things that, 
the federal government doesn't want you to do is um, you, they want you to have a compact district. You know, the, the Democrat plan was not, in the estimation of a lot of people, some of the districts they had created were not, you know, what we consider compact. There's also something that's called racial gerrymandering. The example that they showed in one of the uh, maps that I saw, you know, had a city like Toledo, and if you take your two fingers like you're making a peace sign, you know, it seemed like it jutted into Toledo with two big fingers and pulled out what is a highly uh, Afrocentric district that because Toledo by itself was very Democratic, so they had enough to spare almost, and they were pulling it out of Toledo into another district that wasn't as Democratic, but to make it more so. And uh, there's a thing called cracking big cities like Toledo or Parma or, you know, you, you're not supposed to crack and or split those cities up. And that was just one example of, you know, they're violating the constitutionality and, you know, it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was just something to try to get to, to make sure that somebody else couldn't file a lawsuit and then block the whole thing. And, you know, from what yeah, I understand, the, the Thursday map kind of hit that that they kind of were able to, you know, come up with that. But, you know, so, time will So do you, think, do, you think, do you think the map has been fine-tuned now to meet these objections? I thought they were fine-tuned pretty much at 5720. I have, you know, <laughs> no dog. Yeah. Because, you know, I, the only, my only personal angst is the fact that since the 2002 election, I've represented Strongsville, North Royalton, Olmsted Falls, Olmsted Township, and Berea. Even when I went to the Senate, I added, you know, 24 more cities to that, but I always held those cities. When I won it in 2002, I was the first Republican to win it. When I left to go to the Senate, the Democrats got it back. So, you know, I've just considered it to be a very uh, uh, competitive district by itself. But in this new map, the only city I retain is Strongsville. And I pick up uh, Middleburg, I pick up Brook Park. I pick up Fairview Park, Rocky River, and parts of the west side of Cleveland. So um, it's uh, it's a challenge, you know. But again, you know, it's what you have to do. You have to go out and make your case to the voters, and hopefully, they will um, uh, they'll understand. You know. Well, was there no effort to keep the uh, districts in the same situation or the same? Uh dimensions to take advantage of the, the people who've been serving those districts for years, like in your case? Uh, no, I, I, to my knowledge, I wasn't part of the redistricting commission. So, you know, I, and I know there's been a population increase in Olmsted Township, for example. They've, uh, they've grown in uh, population. So they have to keep it under 125,000, so that might not have been possible. But, you know, I didn't lend you know, any suggestions to anybody. And, you know, I just, like anybody else, let the commission had a major task at hand. And my opinion was give them every opportunity to come up with what they think is fair. And, uh, you know, right now we have 11 house districts in Cuyahoga County. Uh, there's 10 Democrat districts and I'm the only Republican. And yet Ohio, excuse me, in, in Cuyahoga County, you have more registered Republicans than any county in the state. So, um, and yet they cut me out of a, a district that's 48%, but we'll be fine. I mean, we're going to, we'll work hard and the voters have always been very kind. So, you know, we'll just wait and see. But, uh, again, if the final say is at the Supreme court level. And so we'll see what happens. Well, you're, you're a good man. I'm sure you'll have no trouble getting 
elected with uh, any way they draw those district lines. We, we have about a minute before we have to take a break, but what I want to get into next is the uh, the topic of speed cameras. That I think something's finally going to be done with those. Very, very controversial. Uh, for all of our listeners, if you've ever been driving through one of the cities that has a sign saying photo enforcement, that's photo enforced by a speed camera. And uh, Tom, we have about a minute before our break. As an introduction, what's the nature of the problem? The, well, the problem is this, is that um, speed cameras are really only technically cash grabs by these small cities or villages like Lindale, Olmst, uh, uh, Newburgh Heights, you know, Mayfield Heights, or Mayfield Village. You know, these are folks that put cameras out. And uh, first of all, an out-of-town or even out-of-country company gets at least 40% of the revenue. Uh, but a town like Lindale, with, you know, 160 people, raised over $2 million and you know in their revenue. With 160 people, they have five full-time, five part-time officers. But yet, they don't have a fire department, nor do they have an EMS department, which means they call Cleveland Fire, Cleveland EMS, they send their kids to Cleveland Public Schools, but yet they want to put on a speed camera because it's, a, as they say, a cash grab. Because if I'm driving... Well, hold, well, hold on to that. Hold on to that thought. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to State Representative Tom Patton, and we're talking about speed cameras. We're going to take a short break. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to State Representative Tom Patton, and we're talking about the problem of speed cameras being cash grabs for small cities that make enormous amounts of money by taking photographs of people driving. Uh, how long have these cameras been around, Tom? Oh, the cameras have been around uh, for about 10 or 12 years. In the cities that have an opportunity to vote on them, like Cleveland and Columbus, who once had the cameras, but then they, um, uh, the voters voted them out. Uh, I don't know that these other small villages have had opportunities to vote on the cameras. But the general public, I, I myself, I come from a law enforcement family, as you know, Nick. You know, and oh sure, a lot of my relatives are on. And so this is not. I don't want people to speed. I want people to, you know, obviously drive safely, and you know. But if someone's driving recklessly or under the impairment from drugs or alcohol, weaving in and out of camp, out of, out of the traffic, the idea they're going to get a ticket 30 days later, how did that improve the safety of the people around them? It doesn't, you know, but if you put a policeman, you know, in a median on a highway, everybody knows the policeman and everybody just makes sure they're driving appropriately. And I think that, you know, this is a poor substitute. But yet, well, in the case of Bluefield, it goes 94%, on. Yeah, 94% of the revenue of that town of 160 comes from speed cameras. 94%. Recently, uh, Channel 8 in November 29th asked for a public record as to how much the mayor, the police chief, and the clerk all make. And that's uh, as of the almost going on the end of February. They have not responded to it. I don't know how you can avoid a public records request. You know, it's, but they have been, they, they say we're, we're so small. It takes us a while to pull it all together, you know, and in a town like Newburgh Heights, 
They have 1,900 people, but yet they wrote 59,000 tickets last year. You know, one of the bills I had said you can only write two tickets per resident. I mean, a town of uh, Strongsville with 48,000 people could write 96,000 tickets. Cleveland, Ohio, the city could write 800,000 tickets. But Newburgh Heights could only write 3,800 tickets and not 59,000. You know, of the fifty, so, of the fifty-nine thousand, I have a question. Of the fifty-nine thousand tickets in Newburgh, how many of those are from the uh, automated uh, photo enforcement cameras? Oh, they're all, they're all camera tickets. I'm only referencing camera tickets. If they oh, write my. any tickets on the highway, this is just all they reported from uh, their camera operation. So, well, well there should be a, there should be a safety element towards this, isn't there? Like if. Uh, you have a 25-mile-an-hour zone, and you're doing, like, 50 miles an hour, and it shouldn't, shouldn't you get a ticket? We absolutely should be getting a ticket. But, you know, 30 days later, you know, and, it, you know, here's a great example. I had an older couple from Berea, Ohio, and they called me. They had sometime in early September of last year, they had saved some money because they're on fixed income, but they saved $40 because they wanted to take their two grandkids to Kitty Park. Now, coming uh-huh. from my district as an example, to get to uh, Kitty Park in Brooklyn, you have to get off 71 at Bel Air, and then you have to drive through Lindale. And That's the Memphis to... Kitty Park, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the problem is it's 35 before Lindale. It's 35 in Brooklyn. But in Lindale, they have it at 25. So these grandparents came home. They said, we thought we had a wonderful day. We were able to buy ice cream for the kids as well. And then 30 days later, they got a $150 ticket for going in, $150 going out as they passed through Lindale. So it was a $340 day that they didn't budget for. And she said, Mr. Patton, how am I going to buy my medicine this month? I had, I had no answers for it. You know, and the opportunity, here's a great one. Yeah. If you want to fight your court in, in court, and the old expression, every man deserves his day in court or every person deserves his day course. in court is probably more appropriate. You know, in Garfield Heights Municipal Court, where all the Newburgh Heights tickets go, you have to prepay a $50 fee. And when asked if, well, did it, if they win the case, do they get the money back? And their answer was, well, if they ask for it, you know. Oh, so, my. You know, that has just been a recent revelation, revelation, excuse me. And, you know, it just, it just boggles my mind. And that's incurable well, because we tried to fix that. Yeah. Well, a, qu- a question I have for for us for us drivers, a question. If we're driving along uh, in the Lindale area, we're going from a 35-mile-an-hour zone to a 25-mile-an-hour zone. I know many times police officers will give you the benefit of a doubt of 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. Uh, how are those cameras set? There's, I, I think in the city of East Cleveland, I'm told that they're doing three miles an hour over the speed limit. Um, I don't think, you know, Lindale or Newburgh Heights is, is as um, punitive, but I don't think it's much more probably 30, 31 gets a ticket, you know, in a 25. And, and, and what, what um, Newburgh Heights does, they have an officer with a dragon camera, it's a handheld camera, and he hides on the exit ramp. The, the TV stations have pictures of it, and he's clicking 77 traffic, I-77. So I don't know what what they'll use as a barometer, what what they'll write if it's a if it's a 55 or 60, if they're going to wait till you get to 65 or 70, I don't know. But the idea yeah. kind of got that's the reason you can get 59,000 tickets. 
when you're sitting on an exit ramp or on top of the bridge and you're just clicking away, you know, candidly, I think if someone's driving, they see a policeman with the camera aimed towards them, I think they hit the brakes, you know, suddenly. And I think that's more of a... Uh, <laughs> more of a danger. A, yeah. There, there, is, there is some legislation you're involved with. Tell us about that. Well, the one is On several the pieces. We're trying, yeah. Uh, we have one that says if you don't have a fire department or an EMS, you know, you really can't have a speed cameras because you really can't truly be a public safety department. The second one says you can only write two tickets per resident, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation. The third will say you can't have more than 30% of your city revenue derived from the speed cameras. To that, I point to um, Lindale, where they have 94%. Uh, You know, I think that, and what we try to do is say that that money that is generated by these speed cameras must be put back into public safety and not be used for, you know, putting, putting a new... Uh, roof on city hall, you know, or buying new cars for the for the clerk of council or whatever the case is. If they're gonna, if they're about public safety, once again, I want to say this again and again. I don't want people speeding. When people speed and drive recklessly, they should. If they're caught doing it, they should be punished. Absolutely. The cameras punish you 30 days later, and without any explanation, you could load your car to your neighbor, to your grandson, to your daughter, whatever, but you get the ticket because it's your car. By the li- They're giving the ticket to the license plate. You can be ticketed it's almost like a, woman almost like a Almost like a parent uh, disciplining a child 30 days after they do something wrong. How do, What's the outlook for these uh, statutes? Well, I think that um, I think one or more of these bills will pass uh, because within my legislature, there's it, I, I mentioned all the northeastern Ohio cities that I have to deal with, with my constituents. But there's speed cameras in the Toledo area and some other parts of the state where um, they're just as egregious and just as um, unpopular. So, you know, I actually, you know, the, the question is timing. You know, we introduced the bills in January. We'll have to have first hearings. This redistricting kind of set the whole clock back by about six weeks, but we'll have our first hearings in a week or so. And then once we get the bill, hopefully out before May, it'll end up going over to the Senate because as all bills, you know, it's got to go through both chambers and starts in the House and goes to the Senate or starts in the Senate and comes back. Now he's explaining to people you don't want to pass bills willy-nilly. You want to be completely vetted out. You want the proponents to come in and testify. You want the opponents to come in and testify. You want to have as much information at your disposal before you make that decision to cast your vote. And that's what we okay, hope to well, do. Okay, well, let's cases. see what happens. How, how does law enforcement feel about it? Do they support these uh, statutes or, or, or do well, they like the No, I don't think uh, the, the law enforcement folks that I'm close with that I talk to a lot, I'm talking to FOP and, you know, the folks in that. Uh, yeah. have, have about area. a half a minute here, Tom. Go okay. ahead. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, you know, they... They think it's a poor substitute, you know, for what they can do. They can, you know, they can, you know, we have a super post in Brook Park, Ohio. We have 59 law enforcement agencies in Cuyahoga County. If we have an area that we think we find excessive speeding, let's let the super post. They volunteered and said, if we get a phone call, we'll give special attention to that spot, that part of the highway, that particular road. Let's take advantage of the fact that we have a super post. 
of Highway Patrol located right here in, in Northeast Valley at Brigham Brook Park. Well, and let, let's, let's quit with that note. Tom Penn, thank you so much as always for giving us uh, a little information on what's going on down in Columbus. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Take care of yourself. Take care. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a safe, healthy, and safe week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea, with nothing to do until morning, and only my Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.